It's a, it's a, a blessing and a pleasure to be back with you again. Uh, Dan Huffstutler is how you say that last name. Uh, if you struggle with that, I know uh, I have a brother in the area, so there's probably some experience in the room uh, with that last name, so I, I won't have to repeat it too many times. My family is here. Uh, some of us have been introduced. Angie, my wife, Karis, and then Faith and Michaela. You can get a nice little picture of us uh, with our prayer card uh, at the table where it's always at, probably, back here by the door on my right. Uh, there's a table back there we'd love for you to visit, take a prayer card. If you don't get our, currently get our ministry newsletters, we'd love to avoid spamming you and periodically send you a ministry update uh, through your email. So you can just sign up for that back there on the table as well. Well, what I want to do right now is uh, two things. One is just a short little four-minute video to kind of give you an overview of what we do in Nairobi, Kenya. This is East Africa. Uh, in the city of Nairobi, a city of about four to six million, depending on who's counting. Uh, and so that's where we have been serving now for almost a total of nine plus years, uh, eight years since we've gone back as a family in 2010. Uh, so this is our, at least our fourth or fifth visit here, but formally uh, in, in, the, in the version of Dan and, and the family going to Kenya at least three times. So hopefully we look a bit familiar uh, to you. And uh, we're just glad to be back. I know I've stayed in the homes of some of you, and I've had dinner with some of you over the years, so please do not feel bashful about uh, reminding us what your names are. Uh, you know, it, uh, names sometimes are challenging as we meet so many. Um, we are passing through this area. We've been staying in Cuyahoga Falls with my brother uh, for the last week, and we're going to be heading out to Michigan Tuesday morning. So as long as I get the name of this church right when I'm here, count that a success, all right? So I'm... Glad to be at Grace Church of Mentor this morning uh, and hanging out with some of you today. Uh, we're just looking to get to know you, to reestablish uh, friendships and relationships, to explain what we do to the best we can. Uh, so you've got a burden to pray. You understand a little bit about what God's doing in that part of the world. And that's really what this is going to be about right now. Uh, we're going to just watch this four-minute video, and then I'm going to get up and talk my way through a bit of a teaching uh, update slideshow where I'm going to just try to help you understand why we do what we do and how it's really similar to what you do. It's just in a different location of the world uh, where the Lord has sent us. And so I hope that will be an encouragement to you how God is doing things and around the world that we're sometimes very ignorant of, but yet you enter into as you partner with uh, this family that you see once every four or five years or whenever you see them uh, through the offerings that you give at this church. Uh, it's churches like this that enable the kind of things you're going to see in this video uh, to take place. And so we count you a valuable partner uh, in the work we're doing. We're thankful for you. We want to keep you informed. We don't want to annoy you. Uh, we don't want to pester you, but we want to make sure you understand. And we'll certainly be hanging around that table there uh, th throughout the morning if anyone has any questions or would like to talk. So Nick and I are praying that everything works together this morning. He acts like he knows what he's doing. Uh, and so we're going to watch a little video, then I'll get up and go right to the slideshow. If it doesn't work, just shout at me and we'll figure it out from there. There should be audio if you're struggling with it.
All right, looks like we're working. We're good. All right, so that was just a quick overview to kind of give you a sampling of what's taking place. Um, I'm going to work my way now through a slideshow to expose you a little bit more in depth to some of these ministries. I think we're, I think we're working, so I'm going to, you know, we move around quite a bit, so every Sunday it's a little different, so it takes me a minute or two just to make sure things are working well, and it looks like they are. All right, so this is us. Uh, that's the purpose of that show, or that uh, slide there. Hope they're getting a little bit familiar with their names by now. Uh, we serve in East Africa, all right, a long ways away from a lot of other people you might know in Africa, uh, but we're on the east side of the continent. We are, our home sending church is Inner City Baptist, just not that far away from you. I know many of you are familiar with that ministry. Uh, back in 2010, they have been uh, more involved in international missions uh, through an agency that they have created in various forms, but it's called Grace Baptist Mission, and that is our sending church and our mission board, and so the local church... Uh, serves as that primary sender, and that's who we're accountable to. That's where all the checks go. Uh, they manage our health insurance and other things. They, they help us with a fancy term called member care, uh, checking in on us every now and then to see how we're doing and ask questions and uh, check in on goals and uh, how we're doing as a family. And so uh, that's our home church. That's, we're going to be heading there in just a week or two uh, to spend some time with them. And we are trying to follow the pattern that... Uh, we see in the New Testament when we do what we're doing this morning. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, when, when they were sent out by the church in Jerusalem, they returned to that church. They were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. And that's what we're trying to do this morning, is we're just trying to tell you what God is doing uh, in our part of the world. We don't want this to be big and flashy. There's no fireworks. There's no strobe lights. There's no smoke. Uh, you're familiar with some of the places where those things happen. That's not what this is. We just want the Lord to be magnified, and we want you to understand as a church, because you're the ones who are many times indirectly supporting us, or directly supporting us, uh, through Grace Church of Mentor. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with how uh, helpful you, this church is at times. Uh, we recently received a, a donation from this church to help us uh, with the church plant that I'm going to talk about in a few minutes. Uh, and, you know, when you're starting a church, you need things like photocopiers, and those are really expensive in East Africa. Uh, and your church was very helpful uh, in providing a donation uh, that helped us get that copier, because we're producing our own bulletins, we're doing our own curriculum, uh, by, or our own materials by way of Sunday school and things like that. And so, especially with a church plant, you don't have offerings yet, and you, you, somehow you have to be a church or have the trappings of a church. Uh, and so funding, even though it might be small, uh, can sometimes be extremely helpful uh, in a work that's taking place. So I, I want to, I don't know, some of you may have intentionally given uh, to that. I'll talk more about it in the morning, in a few minutes. But I, I hope you realize how encouraging this church has been uh, at times when, when somebody gets an email and they're like, hey, make sure they get some help. And it happens. And so I want to make sure we're, you know we're thankful for that. Uh, you may have seen us in the past. This is what we look like. All right, now we've changed a little bit. Uh, that's basically the, the point there. Um, I'm sure my kids hate these pictures, uh, and, but, you know, you got to do it, right, to make, help you understand things. This is a new slide for my kids, uh, so I just had, worked on this a little bit last night to give you a little bit of a feel. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot about ministry, and I'm going to do some teaching here in a few minutes, and I just want you to realize that we are real people. And when there's cinnamon rolls available in Nairobi, you go out of your way to get them. Uh, and... Uh, some kids, you know, they slam their fingers in the doors, and we do homeschool. So if there's any homeschool moms out there, you, you got an idea of what it looks, looks like and feels like in your home to do homeschool uh, in a different continent. 
Um, this is a, one of our favorite little restaurants we go to that makes pizza. And this is what happens when your daughters take your phone and take pictures of themselves on it. They just show up in places that maybe they didn't realize it would show up uh, at some point. We serve in the country of, uh, not the country, the continent of Africa. And if you are somewhat maybe familiar with Africa, you may not realize how large it is. So I, this is just helping you realize how many different countries are in this continent. It's enormous. Uh, great number of different people groups. All the, most of the borders drawn by foreigners. Uh, it's got its challenges. Uh, it's also developing rapidly. There's a lot of good, exciting things happening in this continent. In many ways, many people, uh, experts, scholars, predict that this will be the basis, maybe the home of Christianity uh, in the generations to come as large populations are, are growing in Christ and growing in faith. There's a, a lot of learning taking place in that part of the world. Zooming in a little bit, Central and Sub-Saharan African, you've got the Sahara Desert uh, separating here. The North, North African folks are a little bit different than Sub-Saharan Africans. Sub-Saharan Africans would be much darker. North African would be lighter skinned, more Arab, more, uh, more Muslim. Uh, Sub-Saharan would, would be different religions, uh, animistic in, in the background, but lots of, uh, lots of differences. Uh, still a lot of traditional religion, uh, especially in more rural areas, but in urban areas, all the religions are there, all are there. Uh, it's, it's a very diverse place in many ways. East Africa is where we're at over here on this side, surrounded by Somalia, Ethiopia, South Sudan, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, and Tanzania. You might recognize some of those neighbors like Somalia and South Sudan as not the, the best neighbors in the world. And so that produces some um, instability in Kenya. Kenya is viewed as a, as a more stable country um, as far as East African countries go. Former British colony, a lot like the one we live in, uh, so there's some, there's some affinity and some similarities uh, there in Kenya. So zooming in a little bit more on East Africa, you can see Somalia, you've heard of Somalia pirates maybe, Ethiopia, South Sudan is in the middle of a civil war after they won a civil war between the North, the North and the South fought it out for a number of years, finally the South Sudan became independent and then they decided to have a big civil war between the two tribes and so a bunch of our neighbors in Nairobi are wealthy South Sudanese that have shipped their kids, probably with government money, out of Juba to live in our neighborhood and educate them and hide their money. And uh, I hear stories about generals living in uh, very expensive apartments right next to our home uh, from South Sudan. So it's a different world over there. Uh, Nairobi is the city we're in, about six million in the metro area. If I could, you're all familiar with that word. Uh, Karen, down over on, right here, is right around where our most of our ministry takes place on the west side of the city. Karen is where the church plant is that I'm going to talk about in a minute. Uh, about 20 minutes can be less than that, can be more than that, depending on traffic um, from the church, the, the church we have been working with, which I, and I'll talk more about that soon. Lots we could say about Nairobi, but I want to keep moving because I know time is short and I should be done by 9.45. Is that about 10? Okay, because 10.15. All right. All right, I got a little more time. Good, because this... I can talk forever and sometimes, but I need a, you know, a limit sometimes. You know, when you send missionaries, you kind of want to know what they're doing. And when you are a missionary, you kind of want to know what you're doing. And you want to know why you're doing what you're doing. And you need some definition. Uh, we live in a world where missions and mission has a lot of different definitions. And there are many people doing many different things and then using that category. 
Uh, they could do, be doing everything from helping people grow plants to helping people dig uh, toilets to running an orphanage to, I mean, the sky's the limit these days. And I'm not saying that's a good, necessarily a good thing. I'm just trying to help all of us think through why are we here and what should we be doing. And if you're going to invest in someone, if you're going to partner with uh, an international person, where should we at least start with? Uh, what, what, are the, what are the priorities? I'm not saying it's, it's wrong to do something good to help people. I'm just saying, what are the priorities? What guides us in why when we do other things? So the Huffstetlers seek to fully establish churches for the glory of God by evangelizing the lost, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, and entrusting the word to faithful disciples. Establishing the church is a little bit of a theme I want to begin with. Uh, that is something we see in the New Testament that the apostles were very concerned about from the, from the beginning. Um, and when, when you send a missionary, you're, you're kind of doing that sometimes. You are sending them where maybe there has been missionary work. Uh, sometimes there is no missionary work, but they're, they're building churches. They're planting churches. And as we go through this, I really want to have a, like, a bit of a local church emphasis behind why we do what we do. That's what you're involved in here. That's what I'm involved in there. And that guides, that frames my thinking when, when we talk about uh, where we're going to spend our time and how we're going to spend our lives. Uh, and that doesn't, it's just not something we invent. It's not just something I came up with one day. Uh, it comes up because it's all over your Bible. And so as we walk through this, I, I hope that is, is obvious to you. You see uh, Paul and Thessalonians uh, interested in sending one of his gifted leaders, young leaders, and one of his church plants, a ministry traveling team, to another church saying, this guy is coming over there. He's going to help establish you in the faith. He's going to spend some time. He's going to teach. He's going to equip. He's going to help you do the next thing God wants you to do. Uh, much of it revolved around teaching and instructing and establishing them in objective content, the faith. Uh, they need to understand what the Bible teaches, and they need to understand it well as they carry it on and, and continue what, what they are doing in, in the planting of churches. First Peter, Paul, or Peter is also uh, very concerned about this idea of establishing. Uh, you, after you've suffered for a little while, we're, we're, on this, we're in this place to suffer sometimes, and, and we're accomplishing uh, the work God's given us, and that's going to involve some suffering sometimes. And the God of all grace, who called you to his per eternal glory in Christ, will continue. He's doing these things. He's perfecting. He's confirming. He's strengthening. He's establishing you. To him be dominion forever and ever. We, it continues. Uh, and Peter again, he wants to remind them of things that should be growing, these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So they were given truth. They were established in that. Think about what that means. Are you, are you established in the faith? You're probably here this time on a Sunday morning because you sense the need to be further established in the faith. Otherwise, you'd be at home sleeping or doing something else. Uh, you, you know you need to grow. You know you need to be rooted deeper in the faith that you hold. Life is hard sometimes. Suffering takes place. And so this establishing process is kind of how I want to use it as an umbrella to describe uh, much of what we're doing in this part of the world. Paul, again, in Colossians, is concerned so that the Colossians, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted, built up, be established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So this idea of establishing is really important as we think about uh, missions in, in many ways. We, the New Testament, in many ways, is about missions. Uh, what happens? The Gospels, Jesus gives the command. 
The Acts of the Apostles are just the, just the apostles doing what Jesus said to do, which was what? Go start planting some churches. Sometimes he helped them along a little bit with some persecution and some suffering, but they go to new towns, and what do they do? Do they dig, do they dig latrines? I mean, there were problems in first century churches or first century cities. No, they plant churches. They gather the believers. They preach the gospel. They form bodies. They appoint elders. They establish those bodies. They build them up in the faith. And we're interested in doing the same thing. So as we think about that, we think about it in the area of the world God's called us to. And I don't have time to go into that. Hopefully you remember maybe something about that from the past. But as the Lord has given us a a year, my wife and I there in 2002, taking us back there in 2010 with the whole family. We have been plugging away now for a good eight years with the whole family here in the Nairobi area. You don't probably know a lot about Nairobi. You just hear about it when someone kills a lot of people or when something interesting happens. Uh, but it's a, it's a growing city. It's an exciting place in many ways. It's only about 100 years old. It looks a little older than that, but it's about how old it is. Uh, population, uh, language is growing. Uh, or lang- there are many different languages. They're probably actually getting less. Uh, all the older folks, so if I were to you know, look, talk to the gray-haired folk in Nairobi, they would have a mother tongue. Uh, it could be Kamba, could be Luo, could be Luya, could be 40 other different languages that they would have learned as a young person as they were educated and uh, some were educated, some weren't educated, and so you got that challenge, but some, as some were educated, they were exposed to English and Swahili. So we have two national languages in Kenya, English and Swahili, and then the young people take those two languages, and they mash them up, and they create a new language called Shang that you can't really learn anywhere. You just kind of have to pick it up and listen a lot, and if you know Swahili and English, you can kind of pick it out. Uh, so we have lots of fun with languages. Um, they don't speak any language real well, but they speak lots of different languages. Uh, so we have, have our sense of challenges sometimes. It's a strategic city. If you're thinking about East Africa, Nairobi's just the place. It's got 44-plus million people. Uh, it's, 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 a big, it's a big place. Lots of corporations are coming there, trying to, trying to take some money and do something with it and invest it and grow it. So 6% growth, you know, that's better than a lot of other places. Uh, there, so there's a lot of money. A lot of the money that comes there is not good money. It's a great place to wash your money, if you, if you know what I mean by washing your money. If you have lots of money that you shouldn't have, that's a great place to come and buy some property and build some big apartment buildings and then charge people 1500 U.S. dollars per month to live in that apartment. Um, that's not unheard of around our, the place we live. Uh, there are homes on the other side of Nairobi that your tax dollars probably help people spend two, three, four thousand dollars per month as a bureaucrat to live uh, in those homes. So this is a, it's an unusual place in some ways. A lot of people from a lot of different places. If you're from a failed government in East Africa, you are, there are people from your government that are funneling money into Nairobi, uh, which really messes up the real estate market as well as a lot of other things, but it's, it's what happens. Uh, and so there are people from all over the world uh, all the time. We see them frequently in our parts of the city, in our churches. Um, just to give you an example, we have uh, a, one, of the, one of the guys who was on the Syracuse National uh, NCAA basketball team in the early 2000s, Queth Duaney. I don't expect you to remember that name, but he uh, was the captain of the Syracuse National Champion Team, NCAA. Uh, he's from South Sudan. He was forced to leave South Sudan in the, in the fighting. Uh, went to Indiana University, I think, or, or lived in Indiana, eventually went to Syracuse, um, was the captain of the team that won the NCAA championship in the early 2000s from South Sudan. So guess where he's going to go someday eventually? 
can't quite go to South Sudan, even though he has lots of family there, because he's from the wrong tribe, but uh, he can live in Nairobi, and he can invest, and he can help his family. And he's got an American wife, and she's starting a fancy leather uh, company, uh, importing leather from Spain and making it, and you know, doing, you ladies know more about fancy purses than I do, but uh, if you can imagine, hundreds of dollar purses, right? You, know, you, you ladies know about that kind of thing, but that's, all, that's, that's just a person in our church. Um, couple in one of our churches. So military, uh, lots of military things happening because of that area. Uh, Nairobi is, and Kenya and Somalia has experienced quite a bit of terrorist activity. So Al-Shabaab, you've probably heard of, is there. And so the U.S. is very involved uh, at a very high level uh, trying to fight those guys, frankly. There's probably guys in Virginia that are flying drones over Somalia dropping large explosives on bad guys uh, every now and then. And so that, that happens. Um, and it, so there's things taking place. There's a large British uh, force in, in Kenya doing some training. A lot of Europeans come to Kenya for tourism. The beaches of Mombasa are very beautiful, white sand, beautiful place. Um, religious were very pluralistic, lots of uh, different kinds of religions. Uh, if you think, when I talk about Christianity in East Africa, um, your average East Africa person is thinking prosperity gospel. They're thinking Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, Joyce Meyer, and a big long list of probably Nigerian uh, prosperity gospel preachers, all right? And so sometimes that frames kind of some of the discussions we're having in that part of the world. It's kind of what we're fighting against. Uh, it's what we're teaching against, what we're trying to ground people in the true biblical gospel so they don't get sucked down that drain uh, in that part of the world, which in many ways is what people think of. When the, when the secular world looks at Christianity, they think that's Christianity, the prosperity churches, and some of them are enormous, with multiple services on one day, thousands of people meeting in a tent, uh, giving all their money to a guy wearing a $2,000 suit, has his own helicopter, his own private jet, a armada of Land Rovers that goes where he goes, his own bodyguards, that's a, that's a pastor in Nairobi, Kenya, where people make $5 a day, working six days a week, um, 10 hours a day. So if you're a secularist, right, and you're looking at Christian preachers and churches who encourage that kind of behavior, might have something to say about that. That's the world we live in. It's an earth. When I say Africa, when we say Kenya, you might think mud hut. You might think, you know, really hard, challenging living. And sometimes that's there, but that's, that's, that's the place we're at. It's urban Africa. Uh, 50% of the young people we're with have smartphones. Um, they are watching... The NBA, uh, they know the music that's on your radio uh, channels. They, they know they're familiar with the movies. The movies in Kenya are much cheaper than the movies over here. Uh, we don't, you, know, you don't pay $5 to rent anything. You pay 50 cents to get a DVD off the street. Uh, that's, that's the market uh, in East Africa. So we've got a very vibrant black market uh, in many things uh, in Nairobi. As we talk about what we're doing, uh, getting back to the mission, evangelizing the lost. So big idea, establishing churches. How do you do that? Uh, you got to start with the unbelievers, right? You have to go where the unbelievers are, and you need to evangelize them. You need to explain the gospel to them. And the Lord's given us a great uh, command, a commission. And notice the, the church emphasis of this. Sometimes when we think about the Great Commission, it's all of this individual thing. You are supposed to go somewhere and do that. Uh, but I would encourage you to think about how do you do this, Right? Make disciples is the main verb of this passage. So the big idea that we're all supposed to be about is the main verb, which is make disciples. Now, go is affected by that, 
But the main idea all believers, all disciples of Jesus Christ are supposed to be involved in is making disciples. So where do you make disciples? Well, if you're here in Mentor, you make disciples a certain way. And it's often engaged in this institution that's in the background, but really obvious here in many ways. Because it says, make disciples of all nations. And once you make a disciple, what do you do with them? You don't say, okay, you need to go in your home and take a shower and, make, and just count that as baptism, right? We say, no, we're going to gather the believers together, and we're going to have a formal service or ceremony or something. I mean, before we had, you know, that, everybody would maybe walk, get out on the road, and they would walk to the river. Very public ceremony in front of the whole community of somebody joining a body of believers, committing themselves to them. And then all those commands in the Bible all of a sudden apply to that person. You baptize them. It's not a private thing. It's a public thing. It happens with the church, right? And when that, after that takes place, what do you do with them? You teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, if you're going to do some teaching, what do you need to have? You need somebody that knows something about what they're teaching, right? Hopefully somebody's been trained. I would, I would propose that training does not need to necessarily take place in a formal academic place. Uh, but some kind of learning and teaching and training needs to take place. Jesus never said to any of his disciples, wait a minute, okay, you guys are good disciples. I'm, let's ship you off to, about, to that Bible college in Jerusalem for about four years. And, you know, you get your training over there, and then you can come and be my disciple. That just, he didn't charge them anything to do that, right? He just, they found a way to get it done. Uh, and, they, and they didn't try to complicate it and make it difficult for them. They, they just made disciples, and they taught them everything that they needed to know to be a faithful disciple. And so that's what, this is the church, right? You meet every Sunday to do this. You meet sometimes multiple times a week to do this. Uh, and so that's what guides us, ultimately, in many ways, especially as we think about the lost around us. Uh, we have been a part of a church called Emmanuel Baptist Church for a number of years, a church plant uh, in the Nairobi area. It has grown significantly in the last few years. It's got national leadership now. A uh, very talented preacher by the name of Ken Mbugwa uh, and his American wife. He was recently married. They have a child. Uh, she has come now to live with him, and uh, he's got his hands full. He's got, a, he's got some staff, but he's got, uh, he's got a pulpit in Nairobi, an unusual gifting of preaching uh, in Nairobi. Uh, and so this church is, is, is I, I don't like to use terms making waves, but um, this church is gaining some attention in the city. Uh, and there are, we're in a city where there are some really bad examples of what a church is. And so we're, we're really encouraged about what God's doing here in Emmanuel. Uh, saying, I, I, even though I say that, I'm, we're also really frustrated at times because we work and live with people. Uh, and they are from a different country, and they think differently than we do sometimes. And so whew, we have our challenges, like, like you might have here with people you live with and work with and minister with. Uh, and so you keep the mission, the, what the mission is, right? You, do, you stay on mission even when people are a bit challenging. And I'm not saying Ken and I have fights or anything. I'm not saying that. So hopefully he's not going to hear this and think I'm saying that. But, uh, but life is hard sometimes. And, and missionaries especially, are when, they, when you finally find a, a strong national who wants to lead and can preach and can get on toe and go face to face with you when he disagrees, that's, that's not normal in missions many times. That's not a, a normal experience many missionaries have. Many times the, the missionary is the guy and everybody's following and leading and he's telling people what to do his whole life. And there's never a time where he says, okay, I need to step back. I need to, I need to let him lead. I, I may even need to follow him 
even though I, I'm having a hard time doing that. I, I need to follow him because all these other people are watching me. And I could really destroy what he's doing. Or if I unplug from the situation, everybody's going to leave. Uh, and so it's, it's delicate. You have to be careful uh, in missions. Uh, but uh, they've started some of their own ministries. Uh, we are working on a, we're assisting, helping uh, some of my coworkers, especially uh, with this Ecclesia Africa, which is a distributing uh, good quality biblical theology resources in that part of the world. And so we're asking big publishers for free copyright access to their resources, and then we print and reproduce in, in East Africa. And so just through this church, they have distributed 10,000 copies of multiple books all over the, all over the region uh, through public transport means, you know, like, hey, you need two boxes of books in Mwanza? Okay, we'll put them on a Matatu. They'll be there in three days. Send some guy to the Matatu to pick up the boxes. And the Lord's given us uh, some really neat, uh, exciting ways uh, to print in-country and to, and to get some of these resources because English is one of the resources, or one of the, the books many can read. We're also doing, this entity is also doing translation into Swahili uh, with, some neat, with some different things. And so lots of, lots of things happening. Uh, we're just in, encouraged and excited. And we realize it might be time for the Huffs to move on because we really weren't needed here as much. Uh, as, as we were in earlier days. There was a time where my wife and I and our kids were the oldest, mature family, where mom and dad and the kids were all in church together at one time. There were ex- very few families like that, many young adults, uh, many maybe single older folks where the one spouse goes somewhere else. And so as we sensed that maybe the Lord uh, had another place for us, uh, we began talking with the leadership there at Emmanuel to actually send another missionary and someone else from their congregation to plant another church. And so Redeemer Bible Church uh, has been recently born out of that. Uh, this is my church planner friend over here, family, uh, Andrew Matoke and his wife Lillian. I don't see in that picture. Uh, and they have a, they have a, a young baby as well. Uh, and they have, we have begun Redeemer Bible Church. So you saw a few pictures from that. These are just others. Uh, had a special sending service here. Uh, this was our launch Sunday in early January, so we were enjoying that kind of weather while you were enjoying different weather um, here. When we actually left Kenya in uh, June sometime, uh, middle of June, it was cold, and we were like, yes, we're going back to America where it's hot. Uh, it was getting cool. I mean, cold is like 50s, but if you live in a cement house and it's 50 and you don't have heat uh, multiple days and you never see the sun, definitions of cold change. Uh, and you feel it differently. So this is uh, what the Lord's been giving us. We have a fabulous facility in an upper-to-middle-class upper income area in Kenya. Uh, this hall is free. We have parking for 60 to 70. We have a fun park cafe with access to a, a kitchen and a cafe that we use for fellowship lunches about once a month, uh, special things. Everything provided free uh, by the owner of this Montessori school. Uh, so the Lord's given us a great facility and a great location at no cost, uh, and we're just praying that the school can maintain its lease for five to seven years, uh, because the school doesn't own the property. They just lease the property from a long-time wealthy Kenyan family, and uh, Lord willing, we can build a congregation um, in that place. So these are informational meetings we had, church services we've, we've had in the last uh, year, uh, as the Lord has given us opportunities. Every church planting uh, husband or significantly involved husband knows how important his wife is in the work and ministry that's taking place. 
ladies are an invaluable help uh, in, in the work of missions and the work of ministry, especially in local churches. And so you can see Angie's uh, involved all over the place. Uh, she has a full-time job homeschooling, and then we give her a little extra overtime uh, in, in other areas. And so very helpful in much of the things that take place. As we think about equipping the church, right? evangelizing the lost, okay, you get their lost, what do you do with them? You get them, they get saved, they're discipled, then what? Make a disciple of them, equip them to do the work of the ministry, right? It's who's doing the work of the ministry? The teacher? Well, he is doing his work of the ministry, but it's the church who's doing the work of the ministry. And so there's this equipping process that takes place. And in a part of the world where there's very little of, of understanding of the Bible, there may be, there, sometimes there are places where a lot of people say, I'm a Christian because they're not a Muslim. Or they say they're a Christian, but they, they, they've got a Bible in a language they barely understand. Guess what? They are not equipped. They are barely a disciple. And a lot of teaching needs to take place. And a lot of supplementing what the, the holes in their theology are. There's no resources. You can't go to a Christian bookstore. If you do, it's T.D. Jakes and Joyce Meyer and Benny Hinn. Those books. Okay? Systematic theology, 6,000 shillings, $60, probably more than that. Probably more like 80 if you were going to buy it from a bookstore because they have to make money off it. So eight, so $8,000 or $80 in a country where the average guy makes $5 a day? It's not going to happen. They're not, they're not going to buy those books. Ever, right? And so, how do we fix that problem? Right? That's partly why I mentioned that Ecclesia Africa ministry. How do we equip the saints for the work of the ministry? That's something the New Testament wants us to do, to build up the body of Christ. We're after attaining the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, a maturity, a mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You, see, you catch all those, those, those descriptions? We're looking for a strong, robust, Disciples of Christ who know their Bibles well. And so when the winds come or the waves come, you don't get tossed all over the place. You don't get sunk. You just, I think in the news, there's one of those duck boats, right? What happened when the big waves come? Boom, right? Flips over and, I don't know, 17, 11 people are dead. Right? Winds and waves come. They come theologically. They come into cultures. You're in the midst of some of them right now. LGBT this and, you know, t you know and pick your gender and all that kind of stuff, right, is, is around us. That's... That's winds of doctrine, human cunning, crafty. Notice the, notice the terms, deceitfulness, deceitful schemes. We, we're in the middle of a war. We're in a fight. And if we don't properly ground and establish and equip believers, that's going to happen. And if you go to sub-Saharan Africa, that's exactly what has happened. Sub-Saharan Africa has had mission activity right, since Livingston days, hundreds of years ago. But there is wind and waves tossing people to and fro, and many of them are cunning. They are crafty, and they are deceitful, and they destroy denominations. They destroy churches. Uh, I, I can talk to somebody from the Presbyterian Church of East Africa in Nairobi, and they don't know anything about the Westminster Confession of Faith. They don't know anything about a confession, let alone a something like that. Uh, so there's a great deal of need to equip, and we have had humble efforts at that. Uh, we started a little conference five years ago, and 75 people showed up to hear some of the students from our theological school talk about something they knew something about. And in the last few years, the Lord's blessed us a little bit. We've had uh, a lot of people from Emmanuel Baptist Church help us. We had like a team of 75 people uh, work with my coworkers and I as we uh, involve mostly just the leaders of Emmanuel, but maybe one, or, one other church has a, has a pastor that, that we're something of a sister church to. Uh, and we've 
tried to just bring good, solid theology, preaching, expositional preaching into Nairobi to some degree and to model it and to be able to point at a church and say, you can get more of that here. And here's a national pastor that you, that you can believe in who backs up what he says and is doing what we say you should be doing. And here are some great resources that some churches or, or we have been able to get donated. And so we send people who come to the conference with about $100 of books. Uh, and they didn't pay for those books, you know, when they came to the conference. So things like that, trying to help equip uh, them. We've got some great graphic artists that help us look fancy on social media and stuff, but we're really a humble outfit uh, in a tent, uh, feeding people rice and beans and a little bit of meat. And they come. Uh, 500 people come because they know when they come there, they're getting something they don't get anywhere else in the city of Nairobi. And so we've been encouraged by what God's been doing through uh, especially this Proclaim conference. Where, you know, when you're a missionary, you don't own anything. Uh, you, come to a con- you come to a place, you start something, and then the national looks at it and says, okay, you guys are doing a good work, but you're not like from here. So sometimes you say things that people don't understand. Or sometimes you communicate in a way that I could do a lot better of. And so you start having conversations about, okay, what, uh, how, are we gonna, how is this going to continue if I, you know, if I got to leave for some reason? Or if... You know, something happens. Um, and so we're, in that, we're starting that process right now uh, at Emmanuel of how do, we, how do we continue this partnership? How do we network well? How do we enable lead, national leaders to take on something they they're kind of think they know what they're doing with, but maybe they don't? Uh, and how do, how do we help them? How do we serve that? How do, we, how do we support that without being the big overbearing boss guy that tells everybody what to do, uh, which is a temptation uh, in missions? Third area, equipping, equipping the saints and trusting the word. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, Paul seemed to think that Timothy, serving as a local church leader, needed to entrust the word to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The early church, the New Testament church, had no options, right? There were no parachurch organizations, Bible colleges, universities, seminaries, that they could send people to for three, four years to get properly educated so they could come back and be the leader of their church. So they had to do it themselves, and I would propose that's almost the, that is the biblical example, and it may be something that we in the 21st century need to re-examine because you all are familiar with Bible colleges that are closing and and government persecution of of evangelical schools that are think, making them think like, uh, are we going to be able to continue? Do, you know, that's coming to a country like this, and and if we are dependent upon someplace other than the local church to train leaders, we have a problem. We're going to have a big problem. So we, need to, we as leaders, as churches, need to think about, all right, well, if we had to train our own leaders, how would we do that? What would it look like? So as we think about that in Nairobi, because we don't have a parachurch place to send people to, and even, even the ones that do exist charge so much money that, that your average person can't afford it. Your more than average person can't afford it. And you just can't see Paul saying, well, Timothy, I really like you. Your mother and your grandmother, they taught you the Bible so well from a young man, but you just don't have... $20,000, so you can't hang out with me in my ministry trip, because my ministry trip costs money, and I'm going to be teaching you everything I know, and we all know that's really expensive, and so you're just going to have to stay here with mom and grandma while I go traveling the world and, and planting churches. That's not happening, right? You think about Jesus and the disciples. Okay, guys, a bunch of ignorant fishermen and guys who barely know literature or barely know how to write. I mean, there, there were some, I'm sure, literate, well-educated disciples, but Jesus nowhere is saying... Guys, pony over, or I'm done teaching. 
All right? I mean, you guys have been following me now for three months, and nobody's given me anything. That, that discipleship, that does, doesn't happen in discipleship or in training of leaders in the Bible. But it does happen all over our culture. And that, that we, you know, 500 plus years ago, Oxford, right, started this, and, and we're all products of it, and we all think it's the way things have to be done. But somehow, a group of nobodies planted churches and trained leaders and took over the Roman Empire with nothing but this. So it's possible. Maybe those old guys that lived 2,000 years ago were smarter than we think and found ways to do things that we don't think we can do. So I'm not saying we're smart. I'm not saying we're brilliant. I'm just saying we don't have the resources we have in the West. So we've got to figure out ways to do it other, way, other ways. And we've, we just happen to see that there's, wow, an example of guys doing it really well for a long time, from 2,000 years ago. Maybe. Maybe that's actually in our Bibles for a reason. Right? Sometimes we're used to looking at our Bible and thinking, like a Westerner, systematic theology, all, you know, all those categories, get them all down, all right? address the problems of our culture. But we don't think about training leadership because that's their job. That's that school over there. That's, or that's that mission board's job over there. Their job to think about those things. We're just a local church. We're just trying to like fill the pews. Right? If you look at your Bible a little bit differently and think about the whole, process, the whole thing here, it all comes back to this body right here. And it's, they're not isolated bodies. There's fellowship. I'm encouraged by what this church does by way of networking and partnering and fellowshipping to do some things beyond just right, our little four walls here. That's a really encouraging thing that, that we need to think about as Christians, as believers. Entrusting the word to faithful men. So we have a little theological school. I won't go into all the lingo here, uh, but I want to give you a, a basic understanding of what uh, we're doing there at East, East Africa Baptist School of Theology. So we're just four or five years into this thing uh, without all the resources that typical people have. We have been given some wonderful resources. Uh, our home church gave us 11,000 books. We've been collecting books ever since. It's all cataloged. It's all online. It's all you know, accessible. Uh, as we think about the model, we're trying to think in New Testament terms. And the Bible was, or the, the writers of Scripture and the leaders of of the New Testament, we're much more interested in the ministry, or the scriptural knowledge, yes, but also ministry skills and biblical character. If you look at the descriptions of uh, pastors, elders, overseers, and deacons, yes, they need to know the word, but there's a whole lot more detail on what? The character of the person. And most of our Western styles of educating are focused on pack that head with a bunch of knowledge, and they'll be good. Right? And all of you have probably been around church long enough, if you're here this early in the morning on a Sunday, that you've heard somebody get up there who's got one, two, three degrees, and you're sleeping within about five minutes. Right? They think they're qualified because they've got the papers. And, and there's some truth to that. Papers help. You know, stuffing your head full of knowledge is a good thing. The last thing we want is a, a surgeon with a knife and no papers. Right? You want a guy with some papers. But you really want him to practice on dead people before he, before he comes to you. Right? I mean, go cut apart those things. Over, give him some rats. Give him some frogs. Give him some pigs. Give him some real bodies. So by the time he gets to me, he knows what he's doing. Right? So, so ministry skills. Uh, and so our, our theological school is a humble thing. But, we're, but philosophically, methodologically, 
we're working on, on things a little bit differently than maybe a Western theological school would do that. Church-based, we really want this thing to be grounded in the life of local churches, so students got to be doing things in local churches. That's just required, and they even get credit for it. So go start a ministry, go fix a ministry, go help your pastor, find out what your pastor thinks needs to be done, and go do it, and we'll give you three credits for it. Learn a whole lot of things. I, you know, had three... I had two theological degrees, two of them, both of them masters, before I stepped foot into a local church as staff. And then I realized I don't know anything about these Michiganders who ride ATVs and go to the woods, you know, for long periods of time and come back and shoot things and kill things. And, you know, my bow tie and seersucker suit just from the east is just not going to work in rural Michigan. It's just not, yeah, some, there's going to be a problem here. I like bow ties, by the way. So nice bow tie. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> I had to get rid of my bow ties because I lived there, but if I had them, my wife made me sell them, but if I still had them, I might wear them. All right, so you've you got to think about these things. You gotta, you, if you're going to be a servant of the Lord, you've got to get down with the people. You've got to live with the people. You've got to know, know how to relate to them. You've got to be able to teach in ways that they can understand. And it's going to be different than an, a, a highly educated, different culture place. Competency. We're real concerned about competency. Can you say, can you do what you say you can do, and a piece of paper doesn't mean you can. Straight A's don't mean that you can. You can watch all the YouTube videos in the world, but until you actually get out and change the tire, we're not going to believe you. Combining training with ministry. I've already talked about learning by doing. Paul, Timothy, Christ, and the disciples. Jesus gives them a lot of information. says, okay, guys, go to the towns and villages. Go do some teaching and preaching. Come back and tell me. And when they come back, what happens? They're excited. They're encouraged. They're frustrated. Oh, let's talk about it. Right? Look carefully at the stories. There's things there taking place. Jesus is teaching them how to do what they need to do. Once you go out and fall flat on your face or you do have some successes, you, you know, you, you've got a hunger and a thirst for more. You've got some experience now. Okay, give me some more truth. Right? Jesus didn't even tell them everything they needed to know. He said the Holy Spirit would do that. So there's this constant process, learning, doing, learning, doing, suffering, learning, doing, suffering. Persecution, continued. Reproducible and sustainable. Uh, Google, Google's got some issues uh, politically, but they give educational institutions free uh, access to the Google suite. And so we get Google Drive, unlimited storage, all the, they have educational apps, other apps that we're using. Uh, we've tried to take advantage of local church leaders. You've got pastors who know their Bibles and facilities with internet and chairs. Sounds kind of like a classroom that doesn't get used six days a week. Hmm, should we, should we spend gobs of money to buy property and land and build a facility when maybe this facility right here could actually serve the purpose that we need to train leaders for churches? And so that kind of discussion is happening. Uh, seminaries are putting uh, journals online. You know, Kindle books are on sale every other day. Uh, we buy cheap smartphones, and we link them all to the same Kindle account we buy a $2 book in America on Kindle. It's on 10 devices that students can borrow and use in their matatu as they take a two-hour ride for, you know, like three miles away because of traffic, uh, you know, and then, then you get your homework done in the matatu with, you know, while you've got this cheap electronic device just that doesn't even work as a phone in East Africa, but it's got a Kindle app on it. So there's all kinds of creative things that 21st century tools can assist us as we go about the work of the first century command that we have been given. Um, we are 
So we think about training academically, situated learning. We have discussions. Our, our classes are kind of like this, smaller groups, and we ask a lot of questions. And, we, and we, we, we try to help these guys learn how to talk and how to think in public, writing projects, uh, informed spiritual leader, leading the discussion. Uh, we, we offer bachelors and masters uh, in that process, accredited and unaccredited. Um, our unaccredited, I think I have a slide here in a minute about just to give you a sense of costs. This is the facility we're using. It's an old British colonial home. Two, middle two rooms have about 11,000 books. The outside has, are just classrooms. Uh, there's other facilities there. This is all on one acre of land in Nairobi on a paved road. That 1.25 acres of land is worth $2 million U.S. dollars in the city of Nairobi, maybe 15 to 20 minutes from downtown Nairobi with very little traffic. So if there's traffic, it's a good hour. Um, but Lord's given us this great facility to do what we're doing. Um, just a small little place. Um, uh, we still charge. We, you know, we're not giving away anything free to uh, students. We're trying to build a mentality of you've got to invest in what you want. Uh, but at the same time, we're trying to say, hey, how can we make this less expensive? Do we really have to spend a bunch of money to do that? Uh, who says we have to do that? Does the Bible say we have to do that? You know, if you ask a bunch of those questions before you do something, you can save a lot of money. And so we're interested in saving money, and we do our best uh, to do that when we can. So uh, I'm just giving you an example. A bachelor's degree from the uh, unaccredited school would cost about $4,000 $4, total for all their textbooks, everything. $4,000. Um, when was the last time you saw a bachelor's degree for about $4,000? The U.S. accredited version of what we're doing costs about seven dollars to $8,000. So, which, by the way, none of the Kenyans we're working with can afford. Right? They owe the, many of them owe the school money. Uh, that's why. So right, we're always like, how can we make things cheaper? How can we lower the cost so that more men can be trained to be, to be, and, and ladies to be leaders, uh, or ministry leaders within local churches? How can we help this process along? Uh, and so we, we've done various things in, in Kenya to try to help uh, that take place. All right, that's the big idea. Establishing churches, evangelizing the lost, equipping the saints, and trusting the word. Big plan. Take, looks differently in, in different places. What we're doing here, right, is not probably copyable. It's going to look different in another part of the world, in another place. Uh, we are blessed to do those things. Uh, we've been doing it now for about eight plus years. We're thankful for uh, the relationship we have with this church and the help you've been just in planning the church uh, that we were involved in recently, or we are involved in recently. It's really hard to plan a church and get about six, seven months into it and then have to go back to America for six months. But that's just what the Lord had for us. We have a co-worker that's helping us in that church plant. We have a really solid national uh, who's had some theological training, uh, and those guys are leading the work going forward. Uh, when we go back, we'll be a part of that, that church plant. So we're excited. It's kind of like, ah, oh, we love you guys. We're going we're gonna to invest our whole lives in you. Okay, now we're going to walk away for a few months and then come back. Okay, let's get back into it. So if you think about praying, uh, as I'm sure many missionaries come through here, you, you hear about missionaries, you hear about missions. How do I pray for you people? Uh, might be one of the thoughts you have as you, as you try to, all right, we're having dinner together. It's time to have family devotions. Now what are we going to pray about for those missionaries that we haven't seen in a long time? Here's what the Bible says. You... Should, how you can pray, what you should pray for in the area of missions, in the area of the word going forward. So pray that the word would spread rapidly and be glorified. The biblical word would spread and would go quickly. Uh, we live in a part of the world where we're almost cool because we're unusual. If you want to hear what the Bible says, go to that church because they actually preach from the Bible. 
Amazing. They, you know, they, they like open the Bible and they tell you what all these sentences mean. Isn't that exciting? You could, and, and they sing hymns. Whoa, old school. They go and they sing like, like stuff from 100 years ago. We're like, we're, we're almost cool in Nairobi. We're unusual because we do that. I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating. Young people and even older folks come to us and they're like, I am tired of having a headache at church. I am tired of, uh, you know, the guy gets up and talks about everything, but he doesn't tell me what the Bible means. All of a sudden, what we do is, right, it's, it's entirely different. We are really simple in church. There's no fancy, there's no air conditioning. We're in a tent. We're in plastic chairs. The fanciest thing we have is a TV that we use for projection. That's it. Maybe God just uses simple things to accomplish what he wants done. We, you, maybe we just us simple people doing some simple stuff can accomplish what God wants done in this world. I can't change people's minds. Even Paul, right, prayed that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Who's doing the enlightening? Right, the Holy Spirit is doing that enlightening. The hearts and minds of people across cultures, across languages, through, through weird personalities, through difficult challenges, so that you know, will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Just like you know that, others need to know that. You are partnering with people who are trying to help others know that. Pray for them. Pray for the hearts and minds to be enlightened. Pray for wisdom and understanding for us. May be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Every day there are decisions about family, children, ministry, other ministry leaders, other churches. It's just a complex world uh, to deal with. And so we need prayer for, for wisdom uh, going forward. In ministries, God's given us safety from evil men. Um, you know, there are people that steal your computer bag. My, I was having a meeting with my coworker just about a, two months ago. Five of us having a big meaty discussion with some coffee. And at the end of the meeting, at the end of our two, three hour meeting, all five of us just in a circle, nobody real close. We all stood up and one of my coworkers said, where's my bag? His, with his MacBook, his wallet, about 3,000 cables. and I mean... His whole life was in that bag. During the course of our meeting, some guy walked up and pulled it and walked away. And none, none of us saw it. Fortunately, the guy drove about 20 minutes away into the same, a same restaurant, different location, the same name. It's like a you know, franchise. Uh, took, uh, took his wallet and his ID and stuff, put it in a little bag, and wrote, lost and found from, that, from the other, the other uh, coffee shop, and left it in the bathroom. So while we're freaking out, you know, ah, you know, searching everywhere, some, the manager from the other place calls and says, hey, we've got your wallet here with, you know, your bank cards, ATM card, credit card, you know, things that are really important when you're in a different, loca- different country uh, doing things. So lost some electronics, but um, when we go places, the windows are up, doors are locked. When we go to bed at night, steel doors encase uh, our home. All our windows are double barred. We have two guards during the day, three guards at night. We have a fancy little blue thing on a chain, and it's called a panic button. And when, if you panic, you push the button, and guys with plastic hats and, and batons come to your house, and they beat up the bad guys. So we have a, little, we have a panic button. That's, that's just the life we live. That's normal. Yards, there are no yards. There's, there's big walls with, with you know, lots of security, barbed wire, razor wire. It's great uh, bumping into that stuff. 
So pray for your missionaries who, who, who serve in places where they think a lot more about security than you do. I'm living at my brother's place. If you all need to break into my brother's place, I, it's really easy. Just go around the back, <laughs> side door, behind the garage. It's wide open. Okay, you just pull in, open it. You're in the garage, next door, it's never locked. You're right in there. Okay, if you need to get in, just take a stone, throw it at the window. Right? There's step in the window. It's really easy. Okay, so you, you don't think about a lot of things that, that, that we think about. So pray for your missionaries as they deal with that challenge. You know, when I take three lovely young ladies, four lovely young ladies around Nairobi, right? Like the windows, the doors are locked, the windows are up. My, my kids don't like leaving the house with this little thing that if you pull it, it makes a whole bunch of noise and, and draws attention. But, you know, that, you know I, want, I want extra security for that two-minute or like 30-second walk across the street <laughs> because... That skin color gets a lot of attention in my part of the world. That's good sometimes when I got a message to say, but it's bad sometimes when I just want to cross the street and not have extra attention from all the people sitting around watching me walk across the street. Okay? All right. Pray for the Lord's name to be glorified in all these things we're doing. That's what, that's what we're all after here, right? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. There are Gentiles, a lot of Gentiles on this world that don't know the gospel. They don't know our Lord. We are trying to spread his name, his fame, in other places where people don't understand many times, are very unfamiliar with the gospel, uh, the scriptures, what it means to be a Christian. Pray that as we serve, as we minister, that the Lord would be glorified in the things we do and, and, and other missionaries that, that you are praying for. Please connect with us. We're just here for a day. I, you know, this is difficult. You're just here for a few minutes talking to a few people. Um, take a prayer card. If you're on Facebook, you know, we have a ministry site that every now and then you'll see something, uh, our email newsletter. Uh, we, just, we just want to connect with you. So when we come back, we're like, oh, yeah, that's a Facebook friend. We can, okay, five-minute review. Okay, I know everything about you, right? You know, that, some of you are like that, and I can learn a lot. Um, you get our newsletters, other ways that we can connect, and uh, you can pray well, and you can understand what God is doing in other parts of the world to be an encouragement and a challenge uh, to you. Really appreciate that if you connect with us at the table, just back there in the normal spot, I think, probably, uh, for people like us. That's the prayer card. Take it. It's not magnetized this time, so you're going to have to use a real magnet if you don't have a fancy fridge uh, to keep it on it. All right? We'd appreciate you praying for us. Let me turn things over to Pastor Jim. Just to save time, I want you to write down four words really quickly, all right, in your device in your Bible, on a piece of paper. Ready? Equip, identify, strengthen, partner. Write down those four words, and we'll explain in family time uh, why I want you to hear those four words. Equip, identify, strengthen, partner. Okay? Um, all that Pastor Huffstetler has told us here today uh, is just as unusual here in the United States anymore as it is in his country. That's why even many of our like-minded partner sweet friends in our country look at us and they think, you guys are strange, you're odd, you're weird, you're non-institutionalized, you're actually doing this in an organic kind of way, and we're weird, and that's okay. We're going to love them anyway, we're going to partner with them anyway, but it's nice to know in East Africa that we've got a like-minded partner, and, uh, and that was the last of four words we'll describe in family time. Right? But hang on, because God's going to do a lot of great things through simple-minded people. 
before the Lord returns. All right, you're dismissed. We'll transition as efficiently as possible to the morning service. Lord bless you. We will begin at 1020. Okay? 1020. Thank you, brother.